Welcome everybody to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes podcast. 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 We're back. We're back in another in our series of <laughs> tutorials. How to get your life together. Yeah, our tutorials, our educational content. <laughs> so in the past, uh, recent past, we've talked a lot about social skills. We've also had a couple episodes about getting into music school and how to audition and doing these other things and what do you do after music school and how do you have a career and all these other fun things. But something we haven't necessarily really focused in on and had a set episode on is what should you be doing while you're in school, in college in general, and also specifically music school? Drew, what do we do? I I think, (laughs) you know, what's so funny is unfortunately, if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have an older brother or somebody who's just a little farther down the path than you. Podcast, a podcast. Yeah, and or a podcast like us, that's what we're here for. <laughs> it's hard to really understand how to best utilize your time in school while you're in school. It's like you're in the heat of battle. Everything's going on. You've got these tests, you've got papers, you've got boy troubles and girl troubles and all this other life stuff that comes at you. And uh, you also had a memory slip at your last recital. So you just have so much going on in your head and it's really hard to sit back and maybe plan strategically how to navigate your time and make the most of it. And that's what this episode's about, how to make the most of music school. And I think to begin, and one of the things that I find that probably inhibits more people than you would expect in music school is this idea that it's competitive, like that you Mm. have to be better. If you aren't the best at your instrument, it's going to kill your possibility to have a career. And that's just, there's nothing more far from the truth. The, the true strength of music school is being surrounded by the incredible talent every day and being inspired. So my first tip would be instead of feeling competitive in harboring animosity towards your colleagues, instead aim to be inspired and be altruistic in the way you handle this is essential social skills of musicians like the past episodes we've talked about but be kind to people and ask for help don't think that it's wrong to ask to play for your friends and and to get feedback from them that's such a great point and it really does bear out that you don't want to be that competitive and in the mean side of competitive, you want to have camaraderie and support each other and push each other. But the competitiveness, the nastiness, the stigmas uh, about music school, performing arts school and college in general, I just, just don't do it. It's unnecessary stress. And I also noticed personally that the more quote unquote prestigious a school was, like the less competitive it was in that environment. I felt the least amount of competition in Juilliard, which is, it goes against all the rumors and whatever, oh, you're going to go there and there's nails in the piano or whatever. Like, absolutely not. Like, Juilliard was a remarkably laid back place and people were nice and I was so confused. I was, I was used to this, oh, I got to fight for this and win this seat and do this thing. And at Juilliard, they're like, I don't care. Uh, it wasn't a big deal and it was really stunning. And I think that's what led for a lot of these people where they to where they were at that point in time was that they had started to really enjoy the journey. A lot of the the biggest names in school at that time were some of the most relaxed people. 
I don't want to contradict you, bro, because I think that because you had the <laughs> okay. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. Trevor, you were a composer, right? Conversations that I've had and experiences that I've had as a string player. <laughs> I, I would say that it depends on your tribe while you were in Juilliard because people think that like Juilliard is like this one monolithic experience. But you have so many different mini tribes within Juilliard. You have the dance tribe. You have the the actors and writers, screenwriters tribe. You have the vocalist tribe. You have the, even the brass and woodwinds tribe. And then you even have within the string sections, you have the violinist studios, many different studios. And so I think from what I heard from violinists is that it is incredible. A lot of my mentors who are older and the... I think it has gotten better, but a ton of people who are about 10, 15, 20 years older than me said Juilliard was dreadful because of the competition. People would sit outside practice rooms and they would talk ish about each other and stuff. I found that even in the viola world, it could get nasty. I was fortunate because I was a part of the Oct studio, which had four different teachers in the studio. And it was the most nurturing, beautiful, supportive environment at Juilliard, I believe. And this is not just me saying that. I think a lot of people look to our studio as like the gold standard of supportiveness. And that's why I was able to survive and, and cultivate my skill with such inspiring people. But there is something to be said about the way I would walk around the hallways and greet people and have them look at me like I was an alien and how many people did not want to associate themselves with me because I wasn't one of the Kovner fellows or I wasn't mm. like one of the first first stand viola players in orchestra and I wasn't subbing with the New York Phil. So people didn't see a strategic, advantageous reason to converse with me or associate with me. That is real. And that is one of those real negative aspects of music school. But you know what? I think that culture starts from who you are as a person. And you can either participate in that culture of competitiveness and ugliness, or you can find a way to be inspired by those who are also looking for inspiration from you as well. You don't have to interface with the negativity. I think it's a fair point. And I think what I was getting at was just, I thought the scale just wasn't as large as far as that mm. competitiveness, but also mm. as performance major in undergrad fighting for that seat and that orchestra and these other bands. But I thought for some of the people, not everyone, so they're not all monoliths, I saw more people transcend the bullshit mm -hmm. the closer I got to the sun, which is mm -hmm. just counterintuitive to what I'd think because some of these people were just absolute beasts and monsters and were also great people who are chill, who if you messed up in front of them, they, they didn't care. Every industry and every school that you're going to experience is going to have those people. But I like what you said. You could actually choose to just dodge it. You can't dodge everything. Some people are in your vicinity. They're in that studio class. You have to interface with them. But I'd say compared to high school experiences to undergrad and then grad, and now air quotes real life, <laughs> you start to realize that there's all these things you thought you just had to put up with. They just don't. 
It doesn't mean be a, a dickbag to them, but you can just walk away. That option just never really presents itself as an option, but you can just choose to forget about it. There's always going to be toxic people or toxic situations, but if you can, just get around it. So I like that. Aiming to be inspired, but not necessarily competitive because here's the big thing. With school, those people there on your competition, <laughs> they're your future collaborators. You're going to be with several of those people for the remainder of your career. They might be your stand partner later on. They're going to play in your band. They're going to be your manager. They're going to go to law school and they're going to fund your ensemble. <laughs> like the, mm. they're good people. A lot of those people in your school are going to be a big part of your life. That's something we talked about when we were deciding how to go to which school and what is valuable. Uh, a big part of it for me was the colleagues. That was number one. Could I surround myself with great colleagues? Because those people were the future. And if you're in competition with them and you're being toxic and you're being a crummy person, they all know, we all know who the crummy person is. It's always obvious. You don't want to be associated with that. You don't want to be that person. But it's such short-term thinking to try to win some seat or to get the highest grade in some class or to win something. It's so short-sighted to always try to win, win, win in that situation because you may win now, but you've lost and for the rest of your life. You may miss yeah. out on an opportunity yeah. by being someone people don't want to be around. That's so true. When in doubt, zoom out. When you zoom out, nobody gives a fuck about whether or not you were first chair for Ride of Spring in your first year of your master's degree. Like when you show, <laughs> when you show up for that audition, <laughs> when you show up for that job, if you're having that meeting with a potential donor, none of that matters. Mm. So don't get caught up in, don't get caught up in the fantasy. Stay on planet earth, stay in reality and understand that how we said with essential social skills of musicians, like your reputation is your everything. That's a fair point. And we've talked about it in the past on the pod. A majority of my jobs were from some classmate and not the best friend, not even someone I was remotely close to. They just remember me saying, hey, in the hallway. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, I do Trevor. He's a composer. The most offhand recommendations and those little things, those little interactions gave me my career and led me to where I am today. So it's their fault. But uh, <laughs> but just Damn being it. nice, being useful, being interested, being the person you want to be around, it's a great thing to do in that environment because never again in your life are you going to be surrounded by that many people interested in what you do and who understand what you do. And I think that's a nice key point. This is a nice opportunity. One, college isn't everything or conservatories or music school, grad school. It's not everything. It will never be everything. But it is a great opportunity because you're surrounded by like-minded people. They're ambitious. They want to make a go of it at this career. There's a high likelihood you're going to see a lot of them after school and that they're going to be around and involved in your life uh, for the rest of your life. So it's a great opportunity to make that count. And a big part of that is finding that friend group, finding your crew, finding your tribe. Drew, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, do it for your squat. <laughs> We've said this multiple times before, and I think it bears repeating, that 
most of the value from your college experience is your connections that you develop while you're there. So find a group of friends that you trust. It's like what you said, Trevor, like some people that you've met at school were the ones that gave you jobs that may be the lawyer in the future. But particularly if you're going for music performance, because honestly, that's my area of expertise. That's what I went to school for, masters of music performance. What was so valuable for me and that paid off dividends even beyond school was developing a group of people that I trusted and continually played with. And I think it's really incumbent upon you and you can actually build a lot of social capital in school if you are the person that creates spaces for people to get together. Host chamber music readings if you're a string quartet or if you're a, a, a wind brass player or even a pianist. Have people over at your spot and read music with them. Have pop cover nights. If recital season's coming up, have people come over and run through the recital rep for each other. Order pizza afterward. Be in your friend's YouTube videos. Be in each other's YouTube videos. Make TikToks together. Create a community that builds each other up and doesn't tear each other down. Because even after you leave school, the biggest anxiety that I had was like, after I leave school, I'm not going to have a private teacher anymore. How am I going to get better? You get better by playing for your colleagues and continuing to learn from your colleagues. It's indispensable. You learn a lot from school, of course, in the academic sense, but most people entering school are still super young. <laughs> You're still figuring it out. You've just signed up for potentially the biggest financial mistake of your life. and <laughs> but But you're also like growing. You've left your parents. Giant social experiments. Hey, what if we just charge them a bunch of money uh, and put them a bunch of like-minded nerds together for the first time and have them live on their own mm -hmm. when their brains haven't fully developed? It really is a social experiment. Give them less alcohol too. Yeah, and then, oh yeah. <laughs> They're like, yo man, you got it. Dude, have you tried drugs? And then next thing you know, it's, it's off to the races. <laughs> you, want, so, you want to do a keg stand? Sorry. <laughs> you want to, yeah. It's a wild moment in most people's lives. That's why there's a lot of advantages to going back later if you can. But either way, music is, of course, going to be a big part. If you're going to music school, if you're going for something else, it's going to be a big part of what you do. But it's not going to be everything. And I think for me, and for well, for everyone, it's going to be college is going to be what they make of it. And also it's going to be a different experience for everyone, for what their needs are and what they're looking to, to get out of it. And so I treated undergrad as catch up. All I did was grind, grind. And then I was retired all the time. And I was like 60% good at stuff because I was behind. I hadn't practiced before college. I didn't know what I was doing. I was still really new to the bassoon, which I was getting a degree in. I started composing in undergrad. So it was catch up time. So it was serious. And all I did was walk out of there bitter, sad, and mediocre at music. I walked out of there with a bunch of great grades. I squeezed my way into Juilliard by the skin of my teeth. But when I look back, the difference between Juilliard and undergrad is that I'd had that experience in undergrad. And I was like, this ain't it. I was like, I need to go to a place where there are tons of good musicians and be in a big city and do all these really cool things. But also, I just didn't have that many friends from undergrad. I'd spent all this time in that practice room, in the library, being sad while everyone else in my house would leave to go to the party because I had to get good at music. Mm -hmm. And now I barely remember anything I learned there. I barely play the bassoon anymore. I'm primarily a composer. And I have a handful of colleagues and like three friends. Isn't that just depressing? That was four years of my life. And 
the biggest takeaway and looking back, and that I encourage to tell Juilliard students when we go talk to them and pretty much anyone else, is to find that balance and be social and go to the party. Find find people. You might not play this instrument the rest of your life. You might go off into some whole other field. And while your time spent learning that is very useful, your time practicing is very useful, even if you never pick it up again. You're learning a craft. But what you need to do, and it segues into this balance of like how, practically speaking, how to go about college, is also weigh your life, your mental health, your, your social times, going to the party, finding other hobbies. Also take those seriously. Do not just sideline those for music, for a good grade, for the practice room. You need all of this to make it by and to be a complete musician, to be an artist as citizen. And so I just encourage you, take making friends, take going to sleep, and take all of that going to into sleep account. Is huge. Yeah, yeah, take all that into account, and you will actually get better at music. So even 100%. your end game will improve by by not always doing it. I I I think the life balance is, is super huge. You don't want to burn out. It's a marathon. Always remember that. It's a marathon. And one thing that is just underestimated is just like the value of time. Time is like this wonderful thing that is a multiplier on your progression as a human. If you really just have the patience to plant the seed and just water it, whenever it needs it. If you're planting the seed of becoming a professional musician, an instrumentalist, you planted the seed by choosing an instrument. Now you have to water that plant every day, just a little bit. And over time, that little seed will grow into a plant. You could stop and eat the leaves of that plant and call it a day, or you could maybe have a little bit of patience, continue to water it, save, savor it for a little bit later. The plant grows into a tree and you could chop the tree down. You can make paper from it. You could, you could do whatever you want with that lumber, or you could have a little bit more patience, continue to water it, and then wait till it bears fruit. And then you could take that fruit, you could eat it, call it a day, or you can eat some of the fruit, take some of the other fruit, take those seeds and go plant another and start the process over again. Like It just depends on what you want. And so having that perspective of time in the macro and going backwards will really help guide you into what you should be doing today. Do you need to water your plant or are you going to call it quits? So that, and, and once you figure that out, then you can figure out how to put your watering schedule into the rest <laughs> of your schedule, right? Like you don't have to spend all day watering your plant. And that's the one thing that I think in music school, they try to guilt you into. They try to say, if you're not practicing four hours a day, you're never going to compete. Yeah, you need to, to submerge your plant in water. But at the end of the day, the person who practiced the most doesn't always get the job. And I'm, I'm going to get canceled for saying something like that as a violist. But look, it's so it's true. Not, I, I, I still practice today and I'm still getting better. And I haven't been in school for five years. So you don't need 
what you need is to take advantage of the resources, the people, the connections while you're at school. You can continue to practice when you're out of school and you don't have to stress about that. That's beautiful. Like You're going to be able to practice. Things get harder after school. You got to pay taxes. Got to pay back those yeah. student loans, maybe. Yeah. Like You're going about your living life. It is tough outside of school. We're not going to lie. Uh, you're not going to have access to all those resources. You're not going to be surrounded by 800 other people who are like-minded. But there are a lot of awesome perks of being out in real life. Reduced stress. You're not doing assignments. You're working on something practical. That performance is going to go to the public. And then you can move on to the next piece. You're in control of your schedule. But you are in a unique time in school to be able to put in those hours but something we got there's books written about it and drew and i will talk about this to a blue in the face but work smarter not harder mm -hmm. and a great place to start that is in the practice room so you'll hear all these numbers of all these people who are going in there for seven eight hours and it's like really do you, <laughs> like dude i'd advise people to look at some of the greats not all the greats did that they just went in there every day sometimes just the tiniest amounts. I don't necessarily want to set up like a, an eight-hour practice routine because it's not really sustainable. It's like suddenly jumping in there. One, it's probably not healthy at all, but research and study after study shows that like you're maxed out after three hours. If you look back mm -hmm. at all the, in air quotes, greats, authors, composers, poets, scientists, and you look at their schedules, it's okay, I walk for three hours. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to this party tonight and I'm going to write, write from 9 to 10.30 and then I'm going to write that again from 2.30 to 4 maybe mm -hmm. and then I'm done. Like, yep. <laughs> like All of these famous people, like many of them, I, I don't know the percentages, but it's something like 10% of the work you do gives you 80% of the results. I just made that up. I don't remember them. Maybe it's 20% of the work you do gives you 80% of the results. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it's the 80-20 rule. That, yeah. Okay, bingo. So that's a great yeah. example. And mm -hmm. I think it, as far as I can tell, that's really born fruit in my life. You need to go in there to put in the work. It's the war of art. You go against the resistance. Set that time. You're in the office. Put in a little every day. But you don't have to just sit in there for eight hours. That's not effective. If you're in the practice room for six hours, you should really start self-taping, videoing, and reading about, how can I wind up with the same results with half that time mm -hmm. or something smarter? Because you should be prioritizing the little bits of everything else that is your life. Going and interacting with people, hanging out the social events, attending concerts, doing the research, hitting the library, having a hobby. You need to prioritize that and treat it with the same amount of seriousness. Put that party on the calendar. You go to the party. If you need to walk back to the music school and do your warm down, your brass player, you go back to the party. So one of my, one of the more successful people from my undergrad, as good friend, his roommate, Ian Mayton. Horn player, goes to Rice for Masters, which is the horn school, plays in the Houston Symphony, like wins it 20, I don't know, 22, 23. Great player. But I got to witness someone do the model, do what you're going to do. Every morning, it didn't freaking matter what. He woke up and he warmed up. He would do it while watching YouTube videos mm -hmm. or like funny podcasts before podcasts was a thing. Like John Oliver, The Bugle. Like John Oliver's podcast before John Oliver was John Oliver. He would listen to that or watch people playing video games, live streams of video games in like 
early 2000s. But he showed up. He did his warm-up. He knew he needed to be encouraged to do it. And so YouTube was right there. Then in the middle of the day, his very serious practice, 45 minutes. And then at night, his night practice. And he does every day. If you add up the hours, that's a lot of effort. But if you add up the hour, it's not that much. It's not that 30 much. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And this is for a, prof- a you know a professional musician. He was mm-hmm. kicking ass. And so he, we would literally, I would sit at home. Be sad. Gotta write music, and I gotta, I gotta go to Juilliard. Everyone will love me then. And why I gotta win awards? Like no one cares. And so I would just <laughs> sit around and procrastinate for like eight hours. And it's Friday night, and I have to get ahead to win or whatever. And so he would literally just go to the party, have a great time, leave the party, go practice for forty-five minutes, and then return to the party. But he would do that. He would just dip at the party, the very few I went to, and do his thing. But he prioritized the social life. He found smart and effective ways to get his results. He was always working on optimizing his practice, his recordings. So then he didn't have to do much of it. But me sitting in that room for eight hours on a Friday night because I'm hardcore and I barely write anything that's useful (laughs) as opposed to him less than three hours a day, less than three hours a day, less than three hours a day but consistent and with intention. That's how he wins a full-time orchestra job at 20, what, 22, 23? The consistency, but prioritizing that party. Prioritize the party. He went back, and I didn't even go. And that's one of those regrets and things to look back towards. I love that, man. I would say that one thing that you realize when you talk to older people is they just they pride themselves on systems like you don't really hear like a 15 year old i gotta optimize my systems no that's something like 40 and 50 year olds synergy systems (laughs) no these are things that you learn when you get older and you've been with yourself as a human and you realize that humans are not reliable they are emotional And if left to making decisions, they don't make the right decisions. So it's better to automate within yourself good habits. And one of the good habits that I automated that got me into Juilliard that I really um, recommend for you is to wake up early, okay, and do your practice in the morning. It sucks. I know waking up sucks. It's hard, especially if you're a night owl like me, but you have to sit down with yourself and recognize that this is temporary. You're only going to be going to school for four to six years. Hopefully you can go for it at DMA if you want, but let's be real. You're just delaying the inevitable. (laughs) And you're just racking up student loans. Okay. So what, what I recommend is One thing that I've learned through podcasts and and reading books and just being self-aware is that as the day goes on, you lose your motivation. And what makes you lose your motivation throughout the day is actively making decisions. People like Steve Jobs wearing the same outfit every single day. People like Mark Zuckerberg, all these- Looking like like a robot. They're like (laughs) robots because they don't choose- how they want to dress in the morning. 
They take as much choice out of their life that it has nothing to do with building their business. I'm not saying that you need to do that, okay? But recognize that every choice you make in your life, what are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? What co- Do you want coffee or sugar? Do you want cream or sugar in your coffee? You may think that these are all trivial, trivial decisions, but every decision you make takes a little bit of energy and motivation out of your life. So if you could start your day when you are full, when your tank is full and you practice, you are giving yourself the most opportunity to make musical choices that can help you build your skills. And so try to create systems in your life, number one, where you make as few decisions as possible so you can save your energy for the decisions that matter. And number two, do your most important tasks, i.e. your practicing, whatever it is, your homework, whatever, early in the morning. Because then once the day goes on, you don't have to force yourself at 9 p.m. Oh, man, I didn't practice today. I guess I got to get my instrument out. No, you've already done your work. The other thing that I wanted to put a spotlight on that Trevor said about your the guy who, was, who, who practiced 30 minutes in the morning, 45, 45, right? Mm-hmm. There is value to coming back to your instrument throughout the day. So if you can have different segments during each part of the day to practice a little bit, even if it's 15 minutes. You will be surprised what happens when you leave the practice room. Your brain is subconsciously working on how to optimize your playing. Like when you're not playing, it doesn't mean you're not getting better, which is kind of crazy. Your brain (laughs) is forming synapses. Your neurons are linking up. And so if you give it more opportunities, more touch points, to work on building that that skill, the faster you'll get better. Trust me, try it. it it's like a life hack. It's amazing. There's all these optimal strategies and these, because <laughs> for all you 40-year-olds out there, but you know, trust me, like guys, I'm lazy. Me too. I am lazy. I me don't too. want to exert energy. I want to be a rock and just sit there in the sludge. But there was some article or some headline talking about Bill Gates loved hiring lazy people because they'll find the easiest way to get the job done. And I think that's a great way to summarize my life. I'm looking around. I'm like, what is the most optimal, minimal energy, minimal effort way I can still achieve a great result on this? And low so just, energy, slow boy. Again. Yeah, low energy. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just chilling, man. I'm just chilling. But it, it's so true. And so there's all these various hacks and ideas and concepts and things and little strategies you can do to optimize this. We know that there's the Pomodoro technique, the little timer, 25 minutes on five off, 25 on five off. And you can do that for 90 minutes and then take a much longer break. And then you do that twice. You're done with the task. We know that's how the brain works. You're fighting against, as Drew described, the decision fatigue. You're fighting against all these other things. You're tired. You're distracted. You also got to play in ensembles. You got your lesson. There's so many other things going on. So if you can just optimize that practice, you're going to be better. And so I did not necessarily the opposite of Drew, but just another good example of something else about staggering. When I was at my most effective practicing was when I first got into it, was freshman year. And it tied into the social side of things. Me and my friends, we stayed. I stayed in the music dorm 
So there's one whole floor. It's just all the music students. It's called Grogan. It's a fun experience because you're really in the thick of it. And me and my tribe, we had the late night practice crew. So we call it. It was an LNPC. And so at 11 at night, every night, we'd go practice before they shut down the music building at 12. We'd go practice before they shut down the music building every night. And it was fun. And so it was a great way to put everyone's out of the building. No one's bothering you. It's night. It's more peaceful. And so it was a great chance to put a little more mindless practicing, but just to get in a little extra later after you're tired. And for me with like crazy ADHD brain, like flying around all over the place, I needed my body to be tired to do some of these more menial tasks, like scales, working on some etudes. So I think what a lot of what we're talking about, we're being a little more philosophical, more technical, zooming out on how to approach school. We'll come in with some more hands-on, really practical specifics. But I think it's just continuing to try to understand yourself. And every human is different. Our energy levels are naturally different at different times of the day. And so use that to your advantage. Mm -hmm. People talk about the golden hour for them in the morning. Whenever that is, find out that time where you're your most creative and put the creative work there. If everyone's slouching from two to four, put something there that would be useful during slouch time. Something of those mindless tasks or a specific type of a, a homework assignment or a nap <laughs> or That's something what else. That's I do, man. I yeah, just... put something there. And then so for me, looking back, that late night practice crew was a great thing. It was friends. We were all accountable. We were having a good time. Hey, we're going to the practice room late. This is fun. But we were unbothered, uninhibited, and it was a great way to wind the day down before starting the crazy so figure out what works for you let's maybe just segue into some more like really hands-on practical specifics about music school i did a double major i did composition and bassoon which was crazy bad idea but whatever here i am but one thing i did looking back that i thought was really smart was my usage of the first two summers i did my gen eds, as many as I could, at community college close by. It was cheaper, and also I got to do it during the summer so that it didn't interfere with my music studies. Yes, there are a lot of great gen eds at your college. I'm sure you can meet people, and it's a fun way to get involved. But the counter was, one, the cost. Two, the grades didn't transfer, so I got to be lazy. Again, I optimized that shit. <laughs> and then three, I got to knock all that out so that when I was in music school, I got some of that time back. It was a strategy. So for two full summers, I took a bunch of just gen ed courses, intro to nutrition, geology, poetry, all these other various things to just knock them out to make my in-year life easier. So that's one practical tip. That's really interesting, dude. Like I, I never even considered that mostly because like during the summers I would go to festivals and stuff. So I didn't really have the, the free time. I honestly, I was so fortunate. Like I took a lot of AP classes by a lot. It really wasn't a lot. I think I had five AP classes by the time I graduated, but it was to a point where I didn't have to take math. I didn't have to take science when I was in undergrad. I just had English and stuff. There is a lot of value and I'm Thank you for sharing that. Like, 
you have to realize, yeah, when you go to some schools, especially non-conservatories, you do have gen eds that will take your energy, will take some of your focus and time. And so if you could find a way to mitigate this, super huge. One thing, we're about three quarters of the way through our conversation here. Thank you for sticking around. I I wanted to toss the bone out to our producer, uh, Daniel Danger. Wanted to see like, Daniel, did you have any tips that you wanted to share with people? Because you actually, Trevor and I went to Juilliard, but you went to, to CIM and NEC. So you have a little bit of a different perspective on this. Yeah. Yeah. I would say New England Conservatory was each school was interesting in its own way. And I felt like looking back on my times there, I really just tried to utilize and take advantage of all the things that made these schools stand out. And a lot of these things that you guys talked about before, I, I totally agree. Creating a group of friends that you trust. When you guys were talking about that, I couldn't help but remember my time at NEC, I believe it was my first year, I had a whole group of guys. One of them actually drew Paul Araya of the Catalyst Quartet. Yeah. You hung out with Paul? And yeah, he and I were, were good buddies. <laughs> I didn't even know y'all these, knew each other. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. But anyways, it was a bunch. I, I felt like I was really lucky because all these guys, they were much older. Well, I wouldn't say much older, but like older, more experienced. <laughs> and I felt yeah. as if they took me under their wing. And that really helped along with all the lessons that I got from my actual teacher there. All these things you said are things that I either tried to actively do or would realize later and look back on it and just be like, oh man, I should have done that. Is there like a DeLorean or something that I can (laughs) ride, go back in time? Go back in time. Someone asked you on Facebook a while back, like what you wish you could have utilized more in in school. Yeah. What were some of those things? It was interesting because there was a lot of people who replied to it, but I I was like thinking about it. And I would say there there were three things that stood out to me. And the three things were, I wish I could have more exposure to entrepreneurship and more like the business side of the music industry. Mm -hmm. Because when I was going to school, like uh, 200 years ago, (laughs) uh, um, uh, like all these entrepreneurial departments were just starting off. So as these guys were trying their best to really get the message out, but at the same time, I didn't, there wasn't really anything I got out of it. And and as soon as I got into the quote unquote real world, that's when I fully realized, oh, I should have learned how to write an invoice or study how to market myself, Mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was something I just had to learn on the fly. So that's the first thing. The second thing is body awareness. Interesting. And what I mean by that is if your school or if your prospective school offers either Alexander Technique or the Feldenkrais Method, I highly recommend that you take those classes because it just changes your playing. And it makes you think about your playing in a way that you haven't before. I remember my time at CIM, I took a Feldenkrais Method class and the instructor was like talking about how I had like neck tension or something. And if I did some like a small movement like this, then that's where the tension starts to develop. And I was just like, I thought I was like the most relaxed player. Apparently not. And it just like really opens up these like doors in terms of like how you want to like use your body because if you don't have a body, you can't play an instrument. That's true. And the, and the last thing is improv. 
Yeah. Now, with classical musicians, we don't, we're unfortunately haven't really been exposed to, we, we don't get exposed to that very much. But I just think that's such an important skill to have. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, as a classical musician, you're asking yourself, like, when am I ever going to use this? But then once you get put in the deep end, <laughs> then you're just like, oh, I'm so glad I took those improv classes. Like, I, I remember interview with Yo-Yo Ma where he talks about his first time ever improvising on stage. And he said it was like this, just the scariest moment of his life, like performing performances ever. But once he like really got a hold of that, it just opened up these new doors for him musically and improv's music. So it, I think it's highly valuable. Those are very, very good points. And yeah, improv, we, what do we do with it? I, I don't need this. I don't see all these people doing it. And then all it takes is that one person here. Yeah, can you like just play something or your your <laughs> music blows away and you got a vamp. A classical musicians just absolute head explode because it's yeah. terrifying. And yet all of these untrained people in air quotes, untrained people would be so confident. They'd be like, hell yeah. Like they could fill up an hour and, and yeah. with anything or pull something out of the rep and like, oh, us, yeah. No, got to have the sheet music. Oh my God. I, I need the call sheet. I need the program oh, yeah. order. <laughs> yeah. It's a freaking it's, nightmare. It's, it's very val valuable skill to have, honestly. I, I think something that I really try to strive for is just being the most, is being obviously a good musician, but also a versatile musician, being able to adapt. Cause that's really what music is in a lot of facets, being able to adapt. And I think it's yeah. a very good point is like the dream career in air quotes, not even the dream career, but the career music school is trying to set up for it. Exactly. It, does, it, it covers a lot of bases in music school, but not nearly enough. But yeah, a lot of traditional music schools are setting you up to do one of two things solely to teach music in a traditional sense and solely to perform music in the traditional sense. Yes. And yet that's probably a small, less than half percentage of what your career will be like outside of music. So they give you these foundational things. And I think you specifically mentioned resources. And that's something that I think all of us would say, use those things at school. If you have a recording department or production department, freaking get in there and use that crap. I don't know how many times I'd be recording a film project or something at Juilliard and that, and I'd invite a performer in to record my piece and play for this film score thing. And that was the first time they'd ever been in there. Even after they'd graduated, they were like, wait a minute, the music tech center, like this is here that whole time. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. You could have been like using this for a couple years. And they're just like, damn it. All the time, there's all these different things that we just really take for granted. I took for granted having a free recording studio until I needed to record my own stuff. Oh my God, what was I doing? I spent all this time doing something else. I should have used it here. Yeah. Countering even that resource, I think another thing too that you had mentioned, or not even countering that, another good example of a resource. I stayed in the Juilliard dorms for social reasons and practical reasons. And optimizing reasons. There's a cafeteria. I didn't need the best food, but it was made for me. It was efficient. I had to walk 50 feet and two elevators to get into Juilliard. Super efficient. But the key thing was I knew as a composer, I wouldn't interact with nearly as many people as Drew in the orchestra. <laughs> Composers don't bump into people. And so I knew 
I'm going to Juilliard to be surrounded by incredible colleagues and friends. I need to, I have to be there. I have to see them somewhere. And so I stayed in the dorm. So you're a grad student in a dorm. What? There's a whole four of us. Um, we're still friends with many of them today, but I thought that was an advantage. But resource wise, was four flights of stairs below me was a gym. It's not a glorious gym. It was it's a step above a hotel gym, but it was a gym. And so it replaced my late night practice crew practice routine. We're going to the gym at 11 something every night, approximately 11. Every other night I go to the gym. In the best shape of my life. Got rid of that belly. That's since, since returned. But it was a that was a very useful resource. And I was able to be in the best shape of my life because I actually utilized that resource. I was the only person in that gym, musician-wise. So few people went in there. I dragged one of my friends, uh, who's now a very successful film career. We'd go in there and we just work out. And the dancers would come in there, but it was such an underutilized resource. And I think it put me in such a better position than had I spent that 30 minutes, that 45 minutes doing anything else. And of course you move out and then suddenly you have to commute to a gym. You have to pay that gym membership fee and work out among all these sweaty bros. Like, <laughs> I really missed that. But it was an example of a resource I did actually use. You know, that what they don't tell you about in a music school, but you should consider so I talked about taking summer classes as one option to help you through, and that particularly pertains to to undergrad and at your just standard traditional universities. We've had a whole Patreon-exclusive episode talking about music festivals. We've alluded to that experience in the past. It's a great opportunity to see who's out there, see how you fit in. To you, You're going to make friends there for the rest of your life and have a good time. The third thing that is almost never mentioned that is mentioned in almost every other field are jobs and internships, which is bonkers. Literally every other industry is okay. It's your junior year. You got to go get an internship and see what it's like mm -hmm. in the field. Okay. It's your senior. You go get an internship and they'll hire you at Not once, not once did anyone say during the summer, yo, have you like, considered like working in the field and like mm -hmm. seeing if you want to do this, go ask, go talk to your career service center, like, go figure out something, go work at a local radio station, go work for an orchestra, be in the office at the music festival to figure out if this is actually what you want to do. It's more often than not, you'll probably, you're more likely to get a, a great opportunity or a job from that, those two months in the summer than your four years in college. Do that. Mm -hmm. No one ever mentioned it. It was never even a c concept. So do you want to spend a bunch of money on a festival or do you want to go make money working at a festival and get some of those useful functional skills, practical skills? That's such a great point. Both of you brought up incredible points. I wanted to add one more on top of the resource vein that we're on, utilizing resources. Look to see if your school has some sort of like mentoring program, if you could be assigned a mentor, because your alumni network of your school is one of those resources that is, it, it should be probably the most important. The, the alumni are the people that are in the field that are doing the thing. Mm. So it ties to the internship, but they can also give you insight into what it is like to work in the industry and can fill in a bunch of the gaps that the school does not fill in. One of the things that I really want to impart upon you is the faking fam. And those of you who are in college, about to go to college, you need to learn how to make 
money. Okay. Like it doesn't matter if you're a good player. How are you going to make money? How does music make money? If you don't know these things right now, if you can't answer these things, you need to find a mentor to teach you. Luckily, you have a podcast here, so we can help guide you in that way. But you need to understand what a PRO is. You need to understand licensing. You need to understand how to record yourself. You need to understand how to publish your own music. You need to understand how to get paid for the music that you publish, how to maybe submit to music licensing libraries. Like at the end of the day, we I was taught as a player, that's going to be how you make money. But honestly, Trevor, you made the right decision. Those who write the music tend to make or have access to substantially more opportunities and streams of revenue than just playing. Because if you look at it at base level, if you are a player, you only get paid when you get called to play. That's it. You don't make it while you're sleeping. You don't make it when you're not playing. And you definitely don't make it when you're not called to play. However, it's a little bit different if you're a composer. People have to license your work, right, Trevor? People have to license. People have to get permission to use your, I hope your so. work. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a very good point. And so, one of our favorite guests, who we've interacted with a bunch, we love him, Johan Lennox. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about optimizing a career and a strategy, he loved Kanye. He loved pop music. He loved classical. He loved composing. And so he looked at the roadmap for both careers. Pop music. It's a young person's field. You get in there. You say your thing. You grind it out. You're all together. You got to survive making nothing. And that's a lot harder when you're older to put up with what needs to be done to get through in that industry. And he looked at classical music. For composers, you're an emerging composer when you're like 50. It takes so long to establish yourself, work on your craft, hang around until it can actually make you money. So what did he do? He says, I'm going to do both. I'm going to have the best of both worlds. So he takes his classical training, his skills, dives into pop, not crossover, not trying to necessarily split the two. He dives head first and brings his experience with him. And he's having a great career. He's doing awesome stuff. And as he goes to that, he's going to have all the benefits of that young person's career, so to speak. And then his whole plan is to shift over later on and then have the back end too. So he's getting it all. He can get it all. And so we, a lot of what we've been talking about is really optimizing to have a better, more fulfilling career and life. Having friends is great for your career, and it's great just to live. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's just a great way to go about life. And so there's just a lot of things you can do that it will position yourself better, that you can start right in school. And so Drew and I would not be talking. Drew and I would not be talking if we had not done a lot of those career service things, a resource. Drew and I both were awarded money, real money, because of our interest in career services. By the way, we need to write them. Say I already up. did. I you already did? did? As soon as I I'm going to type email. up a soon I got it. We got to let yeah. them know what's up. So yeah. literally by us hanging around the career service department and doing our thing, we were awarded with Juilliard career advancement grants, stacks of cash because they entrusted us to go out <laughs> and do something for our careers ourselves. That was 
different. Like that's literally a, like a transfer of cash for that and support just because we were interested in these types of things. And then we went and made a podcast. I would not have interacted with Drew or our friend John Hong or any of these people had I not shown up to the Wednesday Lunch and Learns where they'd give you pizza and have some entrepreneur talk to you or have someone come in and talk about the field. I gained more value from those little pizza-ridden present PowerPoint presentations than I did from anywhere else because that's who I'm speaking to right now. And that's the stuff I think about right now. And so... Of course, you never know, but there are just things you can do to make it a little better. If you're going to have a balanced and varied career, you should treat school <laughs> with balance and variety. Have a balanced and ver like variety-packed college experience. Try different things. Use those resources. Not Figure out what is on the other side of that random door down the hallway. If it's a utility closet, you've gone too far. If it's bathrooms... You, you knock first but for all these other doors like there's the recording studios there's libraries there's all these things that will go away but if you use it while it's there it can it follows you for a, a lifetime so enjoy it while you're there if it's miserable get out or figure out why it's miserable but it won't be everything you're not going to learn everything there but you can do things there that will follow you for the rest of your life so have a great time. Have a great time. Get out and, and, and go to a concert, actually, Hats. which is what I wanted to say. As another resource, and I, I found this incredibly important during my time in school, is whatever city you're in, make sure you, you are going to concerts, whether it's mm -hmm. performed by faculty or, or the, the, the local orchestra or whatnot. Because that's how, at least for me, I learned a lot of my kind of musical development, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it, once again, I, I just, I, I feel like I was so lucky to be in a city like Boston where I got the Boston Symphony right down the hall. So Yo-Yo would be like playing concerto with them in Symphony Hall, but then the next day in Jordan Hall, which is in the actual New England Conservatory, I'm hearing like, I don't know, it's off Perlman or some a, a performance that really stuck out to me was uh, Thomas Kwastoff. The, the German baritone. And I just learned so much from just going to these concerts. And a lot of these schools have discounts for these concerts. They can give you free tickets and stuff like that. So if they're giving you a ticket for free, then why the hell not? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go to everything free because that'll end. That's a very great point. We've talked about going to concerts in the social skills episodes from a networking perspective, but also it's just great to remember why we do what we do. And I think that's something that gets lost all the time. It sucks in the practice room, but when Drew goes up there and he performs and he's in that moment, you're like, this is why I do it. And then for me as a composer and on the other side, just like so much of the process I just hate and I'm dreading. And when I had the big folk rock festival and I'm sitting there at the tickets, I'm working, I'm starting to tear down the table. Like I've, I've been there for 12 hours. There's been five hours of music and I like haven't watched any of it. One of the band members comes and yanks me and Tom, drags us out into the middle of the crowd. And just, you guys got to watch. You got to enjoy this moment. And I just sat there and I just or stood there and just watched. 200 people enjoying a bunch of musicians playing on stage, rocking out, dancing, having the time of their lives. And it's like, okay, I remember why I did this. The last thing I want to add to that is when you're a student, 
and you're going to concerts, it's important to understand what you're working for. It's not just like why you do it, but it's, this is what a professional sounds like. This is what a professional, how they handle themselves. There's so much to learn. And one exercise that I, I try to tell all of my students and, and all of my, my followers and everything is visualization. Look at, imagine yourself being there in the future. Imagine yourself sounding like that. Be inspired. That's what being inspired is. You can see something that somebody else is doing and you can see yourself doing it too. And then that is what is going to motivate you to get back up, go to that practice room the next morning or the next evening, continue to water your plant. So don't forget that part of your zooming out process, part of your visualization process is allowing yourself to be inspired and going to concerts and learning from the people that are at the highest echelons of what we do. That's, that's wonderful. And so I think that's it for today. And we'll return mm -hmm. to this subject later on because there's, there is so much more to talk about just across the board within music school. But also, there's a lot of things we didn't necessarily talk about. And I think that's revealing too. Academics. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> your, your, cla yeah. your classes. Think about that, though, folks. There's so much more that goes into it. But yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm not be inspired. very good. Maybe I'm not the right person. I, okay, look, <laughs> full disclosure, and we'll end on this. I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I probably slept through about like 70% of my music history class. Second disclosure, I was very good at academics, and I regret <laughs> it. Like, like I shit you not. Like I wasted so much time. The grades don't necessarily, like it will, we'll have a separate topic, but um, you should be interested in learning and understanding all of these things. And be less concerned with the grades because those won't fall. Not once has anyone asked for my GPA. I know it's a huge deal to you now, but when, particularly in grad school, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is can I learn something and <clears throat> did I internalize a lot of things? So, like ear training, fucking work on it. Get in there. Theory, do it now because you won't do it. It's going to be way more painful later. But get in there and make it about music. But yeah, we can talk a little bit about that. Later. Just graduate. Really get out Just there and graduate. get in the world. Yeah. Get your piece of paper and call it a day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks uh, again. Yeah, thanks for joining. This has been How to Make the Most of Music.